0: We've been studying the Proverbs this summer. So if you have your Bible turned to the book of Proverbs, really just any place in the Proverbs that feels comfortable will be all over the place. So you can start wherever you want to. We've been studying this book because the book promises wisdom. And by wisdom, I don't mean knowledge or data. So if you start school tomorrow... The book of Proverbs might not necessarily help you make better grades, but it will give you wisdom to navigate a complex world. It'll help you choose a major and pick friends and, and, uh, and, and make decisions. This, we, we've been looking at the book theme by theme, and this morning we come to the theme of decision-making. Any of you make bad decisions? Ever? I've made a few in my life. Any if you have a, a fear of making decisions? The Proverbs will help us make good and godly decisions. How do we plan the future? How do we set a path for our life? We're gonna look at a couple of verses that I think will set the tone for us and then we'll pray and we'll jump right in. Proverbs twelve twenty eight says this. The path of righteousness is life and in its pathway there is no death. I've loved meditating on that one this week. And the path of righteousness is life. There's no death. Twenty one thirty one: The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. And in the classic Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we've gathered into this room this morning hungry people. We're desperate. We're needy. We're jars of clay. We're broken. We don't have it all together, God. That's not why we've come here. We've not come to celebrate our own goodness, Lord. We've come to, to acknowledge a need before you. We're hungry. Lord, we don't make good decisions. We have a track record of poor decisions, God. We need your guidance and we need your help. And I pray that you would be with us this morning. Give us your grace. I pray that I would execute the task that you've given me to do this morning. Preach with clarity, preach your living and inspired word and point people to Jesus. I pray that we would leave this room full this morning. In Christ's name, amen. When did you become an adult? Ever thought about that question? If you're not an adult yet, when do you anticipate that big moment happening? Is this something that happens overnight? Or does it happen over a summer or a course of a year or a few years? Previous generations had really clear ways to think about this transition from childhood into adulthood. There were clear markers. You got married. You got a job. You um, bought a house. You started wearing a tie to work. You sat at the adult table at Thanksgiving, whatever it was. There were clear markers into adulthood, but the threshold—the threshold for adult life—now is, is is more confusing. The same markers don't really seem to exist, or they seem to be maybe pushed down the road a little bit. As we've mentioned in other messages, the the road to marriage is being delayed uh, increasingly. So maybe it's in the late twenties. And so, can you become an adult before you get married? Sure. The the pathway to a career is a little bit trickier too. There's more opportunities for extended education. You can spend your whole 20s in school. Not a lot of 20-somethings wanna buy a house, especially if you're bouncing from town to town. A lot of the, maybe the clear thresholds into buying or becoming an adult are not there anymore. This isn't because millennials are less resilient than the rest of us in this room. I think it's just because our world is a different place. There's more options and opportunities. Think about the different ways um, that the different generations have picked a spouse and gotten married in the past if you grew up let's say in the 60s in a small town you had maybe three or four viable candidates (laughs) you you pick the best one and you settle down and you make a happy life if you want to get married that's it there you go in the internet age it's a little bit more confusing than that isn't it you maybe you have a few options in your town but you have access to millions of spouses online that's a lot of pressure isn't it why settle when your soulmate is out there somewhere It's made making a a decision a lot more tricky. Think about finding a job. In the past, you took whatever handful of uh, available career options were out there. You trained for it. You found whatever work was available and that was only if you weren't out fighting a war. You, dealt, you, you, you were dealt a hand, you played the cards that you got. Were you happy? Were you fulfilled? If you were lucky, I guess that seems to be how previous generations thought about work. That's not how we think about work anymore. In my experience with college ministry, there's a tremendous amount of pressure for students to pick the right path. There are more options than ever and you've got to choose one. They're not, no, no longer are they dealt a, a hand to play. They're given the entire deck of cards saying, pick one, pick anything you want but just make sure that you pick the right one. Make sure that it fulfills you. It gives you all the happiness and joy that you could ever want. Don't choose wrong. That's a lot of pressure. Our world is flooded with opportunity, which sounds great on paper, and it really is wonderful. I'm not bemoaning that fact, but here's the deal. It makes decision-making incredibly complex. Have you ever thought about what the word decide means? What does the word decide mean? It comes from a Latin word that means to kill or to cut off, homicide, homicide. Suicide, genocide, decide. That's why making a decision is so tough because you have to kill every other option. uh, Saying yes to something means saying no to everything else. Now, when you have one option, and that's the only path that you can take, a decision is fairly simple. You just do what you have in front of you. There's no death involved. But if you have 50 potential career options, you have to be ruthless to pick one path. Now, I'm not talking to emerging adults simply. I'm talking to everyone in the room. For those of you reaching a retirement age, there's more options and opportunities for you than there ever has been. If you're in your 40s or 50s, you could conceivably switch careers. That's an opportunity that maybe you didn't have uh, earlier. We have so many options the days of walking through the, a yellow wood like Robert Frost, I love Robert Frost's poetry, but the days where he casually walks through a yellow wood considering which path to take, those days are long gone. We're flying by on a major interstate, exit ramps flying past, traffic flying by us. We have to make quick, split-second decisions and each one could take you on a path that you don't, didn't necessarily wanna go down. That's what it feels like to make a decision in our crazy, high-pressure world. Is it possible to make godly decisions, good decisions? in a world of opportunity. Yes, but we need wisdom. We need wisdom. I believe that the church of Jesus can boldly set a course for the future without fear of failure, without fear of anxiety. We don't have to cower in the corner. We don't have to blindly fumble our way through. God is willing to give the church wisdom to make good and godly decisions. I think the church can, can lead the way in our crazy world, but we need wisdom. The Proverbs is loaded with wisdom on how to make a good decision. As I went to look through, I think there was about one of every 10 verses talk about setting a path for your life. This is an important subject. So we're going to look at that this morning. I want to give you the outline, but before we jump in, let me just tell you just one of the little things, just as a side note, what I'm learning from the Proverbs this summer. One of the reasons I wanted to study Proverbs was to learn it better. Here's what I've learned. I used to go into the Proverbs like uh, going into the candy barrel. You pick out a couple of your favorites and you use them however you want to use them. I thought, you can't really take the Proverbs out of context because there is no context just a bunch of random sayings tossed all over the place. There actually is a context. It's the entire book. And if you've never done this before, I wanna encourage you to read through the entire book of Proverbs in one sitting, looking for a certain theme. And you'll, 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 you'll discover a narrative. What I discovered this week is I was, as I poured through looking at Proverbs on how to make a plan, there was a narrative that formed and deep, rich theology that came out of that. I wasn't expecting that. Rich theology and very practical wisdom on how to make a plan. So that's what I'm learning about how to, you need all of them together to to balance each other out. So that's what we've got. Here is the narrative that came um, to mind as we look through the Proverbs. First, God shapes the planner. The person making the decision, God will shape you. But we get to shape the plan. But then God shapes the path. God shapes the planner, we shape the plan, God shapes the path. Let's jump in, let's look at these one by one. God shapes the planner, what does that mean? Before we get absorbed in the details of making a particular decision, and I know some of you come in here wrestling through, what, what, what should I pick? You have a few options that you're wrestling with. Before you get into the particulars of that decision, take a step back and consider the person making that decision. The Bible is far more concerned about who you are and who you are becoming than where you are going. In fact, this is the vast majority on the wisdom from the Proverbs on decision-making. What kind of a person are you? We looked at chapter nine several weeks ago, but have you dined with lady wisdom? Have you set your face toward wisdom? Have you set your face toward God? Or have you dined with lady folly? And are you just living how you wanna live? Are you indulging in the flesh? If you're growing in your fear of the Lord and in your knowledge of the Lord and in your relationship with Jesus, you literally have nothing to fear. But if you're living for yourself and indulging in your own passions and flesh, watch out. Look at the small sampling. There, I could go on and on, but here's a couple of verses. Proverbs 10, 24. What the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. Eleven twenty three, The desire of the righteous ends only in good, but the expectation of the wicked in wrath. There's many Proverbs that go back and forth. The righteous, you're gonna go this way. Wicked, you're gonna go this way. It won't be good. It doesn't really matter where you live or who you marry. If you reject God, things will not go well for you. It is a path to your own destruction. But the inverse is true. If you fear the Lord, it doesn't really matter. All the details of your life, God will will guide. God will be with you. And so just a minute, I want you to step back from the particular decision that you're worrying about and wrestling over before you pray about what job you take or, or if you should put your house on the market or start a family or pursue adoption. I know this room is flooded with questions and decisions. Before you pray about that, take a step back and ask, am I growing in my love for Jesus? Am I growing in my pursuit of Jesus? Is he becoming greater in my life? This is the first and the most important question that we should always ask. What is the condition of my heart? You see, God is more concerned about the condition of your heart than the condition of your path, the shape of your heart than the shape of your path. In the New Testament, when you go to the New Testament, when the authors speak of God's will for your life, it almost never talks about specifics where you're going, what you should do. It almost always talks about the condition of your heart. Are you obedient? Are you walking with God? My 10th grade Latin teacher used to tell me when I was cutting up in class, which happened from time to time, like every day. Michael, God's will for your life right now is to stop talking. (laughs) I got a good lesson on God's will. She was right. So if you come to God with questions about your future, what should I do? You might not get an answer and that might be frustrating to you, but watch this. This is so, so much better. If you come to God with a desire to know him and seek him, watch what he'll give you. Proverbs chapter two. If you seek God, if you seek wisdom more than you seek silver or gold or anything else, you will get him. You will get divine wisdom. God will be with you. Look at Proverbs two, verses nine through 11. If you set your heart on God. This is what he gives you. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. You will understand every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. That sounds better to me. If you set your heart on pursuing Jesus, he gives you wisdom. You can confidently then make a good decision. Wisdom will come into your heart. Knowledge will be sweet to your soul. Knowledge will be sweet to your soul. Now we know in the New Testament that this is not an impersonal force. This is the Holy Spirit of God that we just sing about. God, when you come and you fill my life, I, I see things differently. I seek different paths. If God is not in your life, you're gonna, you're gonna just choose bad path. If God is in your life and you're pursuing him and walking with him, you'll seek better things and you'll make wiser decisions. That's the promise of the Bible. I wonder if the main reason that we become paralyzed by, by little decisions and we want clear, basic answers is because we're just immature. We don't wanna grow up in Jesus. We, we wanna act like a little kid. Just tell me yes or no on every little thing. When God promises himself maturity, wisdom, growth, that's what God wants from us. I heard this example from uh, little uh, Tim Keller, but uh, I didn't say little Tim Keller. He's he's a great man, there we go. From Tim Keller, that came out really weird. If you have little kids, this is what I was gonna say, you'll understand this. This is a a brilliant example from the great Tim Keller. There we go. (laughs) There we go. If you have little kids, Let's say a five-year-old later this afternoon, and they come up to you. You're cooking dinner. The weather's nice outside. Your little five-year-old comes up and says, can I go outside and play? You look at the clock. You look at the dinner. Yeah, you have 30 minutes. Go outside and play. Feel free. Go out. I'll call you when dinner's ready. That's a normal, healthy interaction. You're giving your kid boundaries. Go outside, play, come back in. Let's say, though, that you just dropped your 20-year-old off at college, and you're cooking dinner this afternoon. And your, your son is four hours away and you get a phone call at about five o'clock and it's your son. Hey mom, I just want to let you know that some guys on my hall are going out to play frisbee on the quad. You mind if I go? <laughs> uh, what are you going to say? Are you going to be proud of your boy? Some of you would be proud of your boy and that's not a good thing, all right? <laughs> Hopefully by that point in your child's life, you've given him wisdom And you've taught him boundaries and you've taught him to mature and to grow up so that when he goes to college where there's freedom and opportunity and choice, your son, your child will be able to navigate skillfully if it's okay to play Frisbee at five o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yes, do good good things. Some of us want very clear answers on every little decision from God. And really, I just don't know if, if what we really want is just magic God, tell me yes or no, tell me. When God offers us so much more, God offers himself. Seek Jesus and he will give you the wisdom. He shapes the planner. If you look through in the New Testament and church history, it doesn't typically seem like God just is yes, no, yes, no. He, he wants a relationship. The spirit will guide you. And so as you think about making a decision, don't bypass the most important point. Are you seeking Jesus? Is your heart set on him? Are you fearing the Lord? That's the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. If your heart is set on Jesus, you can't lose. You can't go wrong. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what happens to your paths? They become straight. God will guide you. So that's the first step. God shapes the planner. Here's where it gets brilliant, though we get to make the plan. A lot of us want to bypass this part and just say, Jesus, you take the will, you do everything. No, no, no. The Bible says you make the plan. God gives us wisdom and then gives us the ability now to decide and to navigate skillfully the decisions of life that come our way. A relationship with Jesus doesn't give us permission to just cruise and let life pass us by. No, we actively Map out a plan for our lives. This is the second point of our outline. God shapes the planner, we shape the plan. So much we could say here, I'm gonna limit it to three points that we can take away. How do you make a godly plan? You ready? How do you make a godly plan? Three, three things. First, you do your research. As you think about making a decision, I want you to now bring that decision down to the table. Let's think about it. As you think about making this decision, ask the hard questions, ask the basic questions Is it good? Is it true? Is it wise? Does this path lead me closer to Jesus or does this path lead me away from him? What would happen if I married this person? What would happen if I moved to this town? What would happen to my family if I got the promotion? If I took this job? What would happen? Is it wise? Do the research. Don't trust your gut here. Don't trust your instincts because there are a lot of things that look really appealing on the outside that once you get into it, it would destroy you. And perhaps you've made decisions that way without doing the full research, without having the confidence to turn back. It looks good. I want it. I want it. I want it. Do the research. Proverbs sixteen twenty There is a way that seems right to a man. I feel so good but its end is the way to death. Last week, I, ca- I came across an incredible deal. Got a link to a website that was offering brand new Chacos for half price. Every five years, I get a new pair, and I'm, I'm due. So I'm like, yes, $45 Chacos, I'm on it. So I, I spent a couple of days finding the right pair. I found one with navy blue. I was gonna get them. I had them to the checkout line or the shopping cart, whatever, and I was typing in my, my, my billing information, and the thought hit me. This is a phenomenal deal. I've never seen a deal like this typed in a few more numbers. The next thought hit me, wait a minute, <laughs> what website is this? It looked just like Chaco's website. So I looked up and I'm like, okay, great. I can't even read the website. It was like a, a collection of jumbledletters.com. Like, okay. So I Googled it, it was a scam. A very, very attractive scam. It almost got me. I almost bit. This looks like a really good deal. I want it, type in my information. It would have just made me really sad, honestly. (laughs) It would have taken my money and I wouldn't have got those shoes. Just because it seems right doesn't mean that it is right. Just because it looks good, it feels good, doesn't mean that it is good. Our world is really, really skillful at selling you a sham lifestyle. Hey, come over this way. It'll it'll feel good. It'll it'll do, and, and we usually just go. We dine with Lady Folly without doing her research. Poke around a little bit. Ask the hard questions. Why do I want that car so badly? Why is that promotion and that office so important to me? You think that you'll find life there when really you find death. Now, if you do your research and you come across a flaw, have the courage to turn back. This is where wisdom really gets, applies itself. Look at Ver, uh, Proverbs 22, 3. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple, they think they'll get away with it, they go on and they suffer. And so if in your research process, you come across something that says, well, warning signs, go a different route. That's how you make a good decision. Second, listen. Listen to good advice. God has made wisdom available if you simply listen. Now, our world will tell you differently. They will say, you need to make a big decision, this is what you do. You look within and there you will find the truth. Search your heart, search deep within your heart. Now it sounds really good in a movie but it's not good advice because what they're essentially telling you is plug your ears. Don't get advice from people that love you and that care for you. Do what feels right, what feels good. The Bible says open your ears. Wisdom is everywhere. One of the best ways for you to discern God's will is to listen to God's people. Listen to God's advice. Listen to godly advice through God's people. Proverbs fifteen twenty two says this. And, and by the way, there are a lot of Proverbs that speak of this. Without counsel, plans fail. With many advisors, they succeed. Many advisors, people that maybe you don't necessarily agree with every time. Even though you know what they're gonna say, ask him anyway. Proverbs twelve fifteen. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes but a wise man listens to advice. The fool doesn't need advice. You know why? Because he has searched his heart and he has found the one solution and it's right and it's good and it doesn't need to be tested. He knows it. He's got it all figured out. But the wise person knows that the wise person doesn't know everything. Do you hear that? The wise person knows he doesn't know everything. And so he needs to ask. I don't have enough data to make that decision. I don't have enough information. I don't have enough experience. I don't have the right perspective. I need to ask a lot of people, which by the way, this room, I can find several people, many people in this room that would be good people to ask for wisdom. God has given us wisdom in his church. Seek advice from a godly community. First, make sure you ask the right people. You can find yes men all over the place. Generally speaking, though, don't ask yes men for good advice. They're just gonna tell you what, they, what you wanna hear. They'll flatter you, but they don't care about you. They'll send you down a wrong path gladly to make you feel good up front. Ask people that will speak the truth and love to you. Do you have anybody in your life that will do that? Like I just said, there's, there's loads of people in this room that I know would speak the truth, to love, truth and love to me. And that's why we need a godly community to help us make good decisions. Second, listen with willing ears. Once again, if you ask lots of people and lots of people are saying, I wouldn't do that, consider it and, and have the courage to change your plan. Look at Proverbs nineteen twenty. Listen to advice and accept instruction. Don't listen to advice so you can check off a box. Listen to advice and accept the instruction. Have the courage to change your, 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 your course if people are steering you in a different direction. Don't just ask people if your mind's already made up. Help, let other people help steer your path. Now, there are rare moments when it might be acceptable for you to, to, to choose something different than what a lot of people in your life are telling you. But here's the key. Only if you're going to do something wise. If your wise community says, this would be wise for you to do, and you say, this is also wise, then it might be acceptable to choose another one. I think of Paul in Acts chapter 21. He needed to go to Jerusalem. Nobody wanted Paul to go to Jerusalem. You know why? Because he was going to die. If he went to Jerusalem, they would lose Paul. And so he goes to the city of Tyre. And the men and women there, the people, they, they say, Paul, don't go. The Bible says that in the spirit, they said, Paul, don't go. Paul said, I, I've got to go. He goes to the next town. There's a prophet there that wraps a belt around his hands and says, Paul, don't go. They're gonna bind you. They're gonna arrest you. Paul says, yeah, I know. I'm gonna go though. It was a wise choice. And so he continued to go. They were wisely looking out for his physical needs, but Paul was wisely looking to spread the gospel. And so he went. Generally speaking though, God has given us a wisdom community to help us, plunging, help us from plunging in to, to, to needless folly. So we need to listen. Finally, slow down. Slow down. Do the research, listen, and slow down. Look at Proverbs 21:5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. If you're quick and you're careless, and that's how you speed through life, you're just gonna make poor decision after poor decision after poor decision. The Bible would have you slow down, slow down the pace. Why are we in such a hurry? I bet so many of the poor decisions you've made in your life can be traced back to a frantic lifestyle. You just don't think as good when you're in a hurry. That's where you forget things. You're running out the door, you get in the car, and you go, oh, I forgot. You just don't think as clearly. When your mind is cluttered, you can't really devote the attention that you need to process a particular decision and make a, choose a path for your life. We need to slow down. I believe we can only make godly decisions when, when our lives are reasonably, reasonably paced. Reasonably paced. That doesn't mean that you need to pray about a decision for a decade. If you're praying about what major to choose for a decade, you're wasting a lot of money. You don't have to do that for a decade, but you do need to slow down and pray. You need to slow down and consider, think, take a walk. Reflect biblically about the decision. Ref- reflect theologically. Worship the Lord. Take time to simply be with Jesus. Do you build periods of quiet reflection into your life? Even if you don't have a decision facing you today, it'd be wise to build in silence into your routine so that when decisions come, you have the space to think. Eugene Peterson has written about the turbulent scene in Moby Dick when the famous whale well boat was in hot pursuit of the great white well. Captain Ahab is committed to finding that. He's, he's maniacally driven to pursuing the well and every sailor on the boat, it's a crazy scene where they're fighting against the waves but there's one person in the boat who's not doing anything. Don't you know it would have been tempting for him to grab a, an oar? He's quietly waiting, he's poised, he's calm and that's the harpooner. Everybody's fighting against the, the chaos but the harpooner sits, listening to Melville. What an insightful comment. To ensure the greatest efficiency in the dart, the harpooners of this world must start to their feet out of idleness and not out of toil. Not out of laziness, but out of clarity of mind. Out of, out of a slow pace. If you want to be able to make a good decision, start to your feet out of a, a rest out of being with Jesus. You can't make a good decision when you're frantically fighting against the waves. And we live in a world that's fighting against the waves and it's easy for the church just to pick up and start rowing when the church needs to be, be calm. Can we, can we slow down the pace? I'm talking to myself here. Can, can we rise above the chaos of our frantic world and think and pray? Can we just be with Jesus? And so this is how you form a plan. We slow down. We listen for advice, and we research. We've come to the third part, the last part. Are you ready for this? It's the best part. It's time to act. It's time to make a decision. Give your word. Make the phone call. Jump in. Pick a path. Get going. Now, this is the part, like I said, this is the best part, and a lot of you are going, no, it's not. (laughs) This is the part that terrifies so many people because if you make a decision, you have to kill every other decision. This is the best part. Here's why. The path doesn't belong to you. The plan belongs to you, but the path doesn't. The path belongs to God. He has given you the ability to make the plan, but God shapes the path. That is a comforting truth, and it's one that will enable you to make a godly decision, a plan. Look at these texts from Proverbs 16:9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. 1633, which by the way, the chapter 16 seems to have a lot concentrated in this one chapter. If you just go through chapter 16, 33, the lot is cast into the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. Even the seemingly random things belong to God. 2131, the horse is made ready for the day of battle. But it's not the horse or the fighter that wins, it's the Lord that brings the victory. Friend, if you're in Christ. You can't go wrong. Do you believe that? Is that your picture of God? Romans 8, let let this truth absorb into you. God is weaving together everything for the good of his children. Ephesians 1.11, God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. Everything, God is shaping your path. I wonder if some of you feel like you can't make a decision because God is judging you. and God has this mystery, this will that he has hidden from you. And it's up to you to, to perfectly figure out this one little course, this one little path. And if you make a wrong decision, your life is plunged into misery, into poverty, into loneliness. And so you just, you toil over these decisions. Is this, is this God's will for my life? Is this the path? That's not how it works. According to the Bible, God is shaping your path as you go. He lets you make the plans, but he takes care of the path. And he will get you where he wants you to go. Take confidence in that. He'll get you where he wants you to go. God never makes a mistake. I think we just sang that lyric a few minutes ago. God never gets the address wrong. If it seems like a miserable failure to you, it's not to God. And that's where this truth really helps us. God's sovereignty. He is leading us. He's guiding us. Hosea 11, I love how it says it. He's guiding us. He's leading us with cords of kindness and bands of love. He's calling his children out of Egypt. Where is he calling them to? The desert? With cords of kindness and bands of love. This reality should encourage and strengthen and fortify every soul in this room. If you're on the front end of a decision and you're wrestling through one or two or three or 50 different options, if you're on the brink of a decision, I want you to know that if you're in Christ, you can make a decision confidently. If you've gone through the process, it's a wise and godly decision, go, open doors, see what happens. See what's there, make the phone call. Touch the waters, have the conversation, act. You can do so with confidence. Here's the encouraging part. If God doesn't want you to go where you've planned to go, he won't let you go there. He'll redirect you. What an encouraging truth. He'll redirect your steps. God shapes the path, but this is also just as encouraging to those who are on the back end of a decision. And I know this room is filled with people that did make a good plan. You did your research. You followed Jesus. You've showed up here every Sunday for week after week and you've pursued him. You were certain that it was God's will for you to be married because you do biblical reflection and people talk to you. This is a good plan. Why why is this not happening? You were certain that God was leading you to that career. I, I just knew it. Everybody in my life affirmed me. You knew that God wanted you in that house. You had a dream about living in that house. I'm certain this was a godly plan. Why is God not fulfilling his plans and his purposes that he's given me? It was good and wise, but the door was slammed in your face. You were detoured into the wilderness. Friends, that's a hard place to be. And I know this room is filled with people that are there. Detours are miserable. This weekend, I was traveling with my family from Charlotte to Winston, and we were enjoying a wonderful car ride. Now, we have five children in the back seat of our car. That's rare. We were having a great car ride from, from uh, Charlotte to Winston, and we were, we were singing, we were enjoying life. But as we were traveling down I-40, at a, at a good pace, we saw those ominous brake lights, and the car is starting to, oh, no. <laughs> Maybe it's nothing, maybe it's just a short thing. Lara looked at her phone and saw five miles of dark red and there was no path around it. One hour later, we had traveled five miles. And one hour later, I was in a completely different mood. <laughs> Doesn't this happen to you in traffic jams at a very micro level? Your plans get shuffled up and you become angry and frustrated and man, I had a, I had a path shaped out for me and the, the cars got in the way. I was forced off the interstate. It just makes us terribly frustrated. It's even harder on a macro level. Some of you had a good and wise plan for your life. You were soaring down the interstate of life and you were certain that God was taking you where he wanted you to go. And then you saw the brake lights. And you screeched to a halt. And you've been sitting in traffic for a decade. More than that. That's excruciating. Maybe you were forced off the interstate. You got in a wreck. Who, who knows? What happens? God led you to a different place and you think, ah, how can I ever move forward from here? You had a plan and you just can't get over it. You're in the desert. Can you even trust God anymore? I wanna remind you, God is doing something in your life even though you cannot see it. If you can accept it, and I hope you accept it because it's biblical truth, God is taking you to a better place and he's teaching you in this wilderness to desire him more. He's shaping your heart as he shapes your path. God wants you to cry out for him and sometimes it takes that to go to the desert, to go to the wilderness and say, God, where are you? I need you. If you don't come through, I will die. God says, "Good." Here, here I am. As we close, I want, to think about, I want you to think about Paul's journey one more time. We can learn a lot about how God shapes our paths in the book of Acts. Acts 15 this time. Paul is ready to set out on his second missionary journey. The first one had been a wild success. Him and Barnabas had gone throughout the Mediterranean world and planted the gospel and planted churches and developed leaders. Things were flourishing. The church was, was taking root. And so very quickly, they decided, let's do it. Let's do it again. They wanted to retrace their steps and go back through and encourage the churches that they had just been with. But everything fell apart. Very quickly into the journey, Paul and Barnabas, who had been close companions, they separated over a sharp disagreement. Acts says it was sharp. Has that happened to you? A friend, a partner, somebody, you thought, man, I'll be, I'll be with you forever. And the sharp disagreement separates you. That's what happened to Paul and Barnabas. They were furious with each other, and they went separate ways. I want you to imagine the pain that Paul felt as he walks north, and Barnabas goes south. Son of encouragement, a partner in the gospel. In the book of Acts, they don't come back together. Paul goes one way. It gets worse. Paul's going to go north and he's going to go to Asia. And he had a plan in his mind, but the Bible says that God wouldn't let him. Literally wouldn't let him through. The door was shut. How did that happen? We don't know, but God literally wouldn't let him go through. And so Paul meandered down to Troas. It was a crushing blow for Paul. And I don't want you to discount the pain of this moment. Proverbs 13 12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. This is a reality for every soul outside of the Garden of Eden. Solomon understood it. Paul understood it. And every soul in this room understands that hope deferred, bringing on a heart sickness that seems unresolvable. If God has rerouted your life, it can make your heart ache. And I know this room is filled with aching people. But be encouraged. God never gets the path wrong. God never gets the path wrong. If he sends you into the desert, he has a purpose for you. If he slammed the door and, and the brakes have halted your plans, he has a purpose. Trust in him. He's calling you into a deeper relationship with you. He has something better than you could have ever dreamed. He's offering you yet again himself. And if that's the reward for your suffering, for your wilderness, you have gained everything, friends. You've gained it all. Paul was crushed and disappointed when he went to Troas, but I want to just mention two incredible things that happened that wouldn't have happened if Paul's plan had gone as he had hoped. First, he met a man there named Luke. Have you heard of Luke? Yes, he was a good doctor, and so Paul brought him along, but it turned out that Luke was a good historian and had a sharp eye and was a good author. Would we have the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts in our Bible if Paul had not been rerouted? I don't know second thing. When Paul was in Troas, he received the famous Macedonian call. Believers were calling him across the bay into, the, into Macedonia. And so he got on a boat and he went into Europe. Now, that might not mean anything to you. I, I don't know if there's been a more significant boat ride in the past 2,000 years. Because when Paul jumped on that boat, went to Macedonia, do you know what happened? The gospel went to Europe. The gospel bled in into the Western world. Friends, our spiritual heritage is traced back to Paul's plans that fell apart. God led him to where he wanted him to go. And the gospel spread into Europe, into Rome, and it changed the world. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but finish the proverb, a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. This morning, I want you to entrust your soul to Jesus. He meets us in those broken places and gives us a desire that was better than anything that we could have ever desired. If you're mourning the death of a dream, give your heart to Jesus. Sometimes God defers our hope to birth in us a greater hope. If you turn to Jesus today, He will meet you in that pain and encourage you to keep moving. Your story's not over, there's more to come. Good good things are ahead. He has something incredible for you. As we close our time this morning, I wanna invite the band up and I wanna invite you to stand and I want you to reflect on on the truth that you just heard from God's word. I wanna read this text from you in 2 Corinthians. In many ways, this book is an explanation of why Paul got rerouted. Paul said, I made good plans, but God rerouted my path. The path belongs to God, and I know I told you, church, that I would come to you, but God had something different. And so he's writing in sorrow, explaining and justifying why he didn't show up to the Corinthian church. And he says these words. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, even though a door was open for me in the Lord to, to go visit you in Corinth. My spirit wasn't at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Christ is leading us.